Robin Sills from St. Mary's Hospital. I apologize if I sound a little nasally. I was away last week um, at a training um, in Florida where a lot of people in the class I was in were just a little bit sick. So I did everything I could, took my vitamin C, took my zinc, and I think I just got a minor head cold, but I, I, I'm battling it. I'm doing everything one of my docs told me to do. Gargle with Listerine. Take your zinc oregano. and take your emergency. I eat oregano every day, Johnny. I'm Italian. Oil. Oh, oregano oil. I don't know. I haven't done that. But all I notice, I just have a little funny frog in my throat. But I'm, I'm feeling good. Um, I had a wonderful uh, training down in Florida for something I'm doing for St. Anthony Church in Prospect called Stephen Ministry. Someday I'll tell you a little bit more about that. We may have talked about it a little bit when Chaplain Jerry was here. But definitely a, a wonderful, wonderful um, experience. So I'm excited to be back in the saddle, Jen Clement took over for me last Friday and met with Dr. Uberti, and they talked about bad habits last Friday morning. But I'm back. I kicked her out. She's not taking over my job. So, uh, again, thank you so much um, for joining us here tonight. And we are really excited tonight to have with us a great physician who is a pain specialist, Dr. Sandeep Johar, who is with NOS here in the greater Waterbury area. Um, I know we've had pain specialty on before, but I think it's pain specialists is one of those topics that I think is a little bit cloudy. Not quite sure when to use a pain specialist, how a pain specialist use. And what does pain management really mean? So Dr. Johar came to us about, I don't know, I met him about six, seven months ago, I think. About six months ago. And I took him on a road trip to meet a lot of my physicians. And actually his wife um, is an ophthalmologist uh, here in the greater Waterbury area. She's housed in uh, the Prospect location in Pond Place. So they are a a husband-wife dynamic duo team. We're going to be using them quite a bit for some programming we're doing. But Dr. Johar took time out of his busy schedule. He's here in Scrubs. So I'm going to tell you, he flew from procedure to here um, to talk a little bit about his specialty. So I want to welcome you. Thank you, Dr. Johar, for being here tonight. Thanks for having me. Robin. I'm so excited to, to meet with you. Tonight you followed me, though. You didn't ride in my car. Usually you ride in my car. No, I followed you. You followed I, me. Wherever you were taking me, all these <laughs> He was a little nervous getting roads. here. Yeah, well, he was a little little bit nervous We're in the right here. place. That's all We're that in matters. the right place. Johnny greeted us at the door and all was well. Um, just a, a program note, too. Um, after um, we speak tonight, we are going to end a few minutes early because there is the Sacred Heart Crosby game. And I have to end at least a little bit, like five minutes early, just so that they can get in the saddle and get that game go- going. And I want to make sure for my alma mater, Sacred Heart, that I allow them plenty of airtime to hopefully be uh, victors tonight. I'm sorry, a little bit prejudiced there. So, Dr. Johar, thank you again for being here. And I'm sure that you do see people with sports injuries, speaking of sports. Yes, I do. You I see, see a ton, right? I see a ton of sports injuries, a lot of spine-related issues, and just a lot of different medical issues in general we see in the office. So, I think I want to start at square one and ask you, first of all, why pain? Why pain management? What led you in that direction? That, that's a very good question. You know, I did my residency in emergency medicine at Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York. And during my um, training in emergency medicine, I would see a lot of patients with pain-related issues, mm-hmm. whether it be acute pain or chronic pain. And outside of just giving medications... There was very limited with what I could do for those patients in the emergency department. Mm -hmm. And I saw that was a a, a big issue in the emergency department because a lot of times these patients, unfortunately, didn't have anyone to follow up with or 
they were just there for chronic pain issues. So that was probably the main reason why it got me going into pain management. Yeah, you must have seen a lot. I mean, you know, a lot of different things drop people to our emergency rooms, you know, definitely. But pain is probably one of the most frequent um, reasons why people visit the emergency room because they're not sure what's causing it. But to be able to identify where that pain is and what that pain is and help them, I'm sure, is very rewarding for you as a physician. Yes, I, I agree with you. You know, I, I think that a lot of times the most difficult thing is to try to identify or diagnose what the main cause of the pain is. And then on top of that, see what as providers we can do to help that patient manage that pain. Right. And you're part of a larger team of physicians. So you're in the group of NOS, which is um, neurosurgeons, orthopedics, and spine specialists. So you're all housed in one, and you work as a team to treat that patient. So the neurosurgery piece, you're the pain management piece, and then you have another multidisciplinary approach, plus the orthopedics. Yeah, I'm very fortunate to be part of this group um, titled NOS, which stands for Neurosurgery, Orthopedic, and Spine Specialist. I joined the group approximately six months ago, and it's a, it's like you said, Robin, it's a multi disciplinary approach to treating these patients. We have um, well-staffed, board-certified neurosurgeons, orthopedic surgeons um, that do both orthopedic spine and sports-related issues. And then on top of that, we have a pain management, a whole pain management specialist and a whole team in pain management. And then on top of that, we also have chiropractic care as well as the physiatrist. Physiatry, right. Um, and then we have um, physical therapy right on site as well. So it's... Uh, you know, pretty much a one-stop shop, uh, so it's very convenient from that standpoint. And, you know, I learn a lot from my colleagues in the practice, um, learning new things every day. And so, you know, it's always good to work with people that you really respect and trust and you could bounce ideas off. Yeah, it's wonderful. You know, I started my nursing career in uh, ortho-neuro, so this is near and dear to my heart, uh, especially your leader, Dr. Karnasavich. I've known him for longer than I care to admit, uh, because both of us are getting up there. But incredible teacher incredible a mentor i'm sure to the entire team there um you when we sat down the other day you and i went over a whole array of different pieces within pain management and your specialty and then you sent me this powerpoint and i love this powerpoint so we're going to refer to this powerpoint kind of to guide us through the process but you have some object objectives in here and i want to throw them out a little bit to the audience just to get an idea you know you talk about the definition of pain and I think that's an important piece to hit on. Then we define different types of sources of pain. So I'd like to hit that. Um, diff different diagnoses which cause the pain and different interventional, interventional treatment options, especially there's some newer stuff that we had talked about. So I'd like to hit on that. Yes. So let's start by, I mean, you have some pictures here of uh, people doing skiing and shoveling, and, and those are definitely your sports-related types of injuries. But you talk about the types of pain. So let's talk a little bit about what you mean by types of pain. So, you know, there's uh, just real briefly, we'll just kind of go over the definition of yeah. pain. I think that's very important when we talk about pain. So, you know, pain is an unpleasant sensation that can range from mild localized discomfort to agony. Um, it both has a physical and emotional components. Mm. And, you know, the physical part of pain results from nerve stimulation. Mm. And it may be contained to a discrete area, such as the site that's injured, or it can be more a diffuse 
issue, uh, which secondary to maybe a disease such as fibromyalgia and whatnot. So that's kind of the definition of pain. There's thousands, if you were to Google it, there's thousands of different definitions out there for what pain is. And there's different types of pain. Correct. There is different types of pain. There's something that we call somatic pain as well as visceral pain. And when we mention somatic pain, um, we're talking about pain receptors in either the body surface or musculoskeletal tissues. And a common cause of the, what we call somatic pain is some, something such as post-surgical pain from a surgical incision site. And it's usually described as like a dull or achy pain. So that's more what we would describe as a somatic pain. Visceral pain is pain when we feel within the internal organs or damaged or injured of the organs. Okay. Um, so viscera, it stands for the internal areas of the body that are enclosed in a cavity. And so that's kind of what we talk about when we mention visceral pain. Okay. And what about neuropathic pain? So, yeah. So the the third one is neuropathic pain, which is kind of the one that I deal with more than any of the other ones in my practice because I do do interventional pain management therapy. So neuropathic pain is caused by the malfunction to the spinal cord and peripheral nerves. And it's typically described as a burning, tingling, shooting, stinging or pins and needles sensation. And sometimes patients can complain about stabbing, piercing, cutting, or drilling pain. A lot of times I'll see patients in the office with back and or neck pain or even, you know, spine pain in general. And a lot of times that pain can radiate somewhere, radiate into the arms or radiate into the legs. Mm. And that is secondary to what we call neuropathic pain coming from the spine. Sometimes patients come to me, they're like, Doc, I'm not having any back pain. I'm just having leg pain. And, you know, it's a lot of times important to delineate, is it coming from the leg itself or is it coming from the spine, which innervates the leg and may be causing the leg pain? And this would be considered more of your neuropathic pain. Yes. Which yes, is Robert. And, you know, I'll tell you, it's scary because when you're someone going through it, you have no idea where it's coming from. So you, And you're not sure what to do first. You're sure. not sure what to do first. So if someone's experiencing that type of a pain, what's something that someone usually does first? They see their primary care physician. Do they? What What do they tend to do first? What do you see? So a lot of times after someone experiences this, um, you know, maybe for the first or second time, if it doesn't persist, they might ignore it. Right. But if it's some symptoms that persist, they may want to. They may see their primary care physician. Mm-hmm. At the time, the primary care physician may decide to start the patient on some kind of therapy, some kind of exercises, versus getting some imaging studies to try to figure out what the cause of the pain is. So there's a lot of different roads to go about to try to help diagnose what the cause is. And with, sometimes with the primary care physicians, the, the insurance companies hold them back from even getting that until they do some of the other things that are more, you know, palliative, I would say. Sure. That's that's actually a very good point, Robin. I've, I've heard that I'm concerned from a lot of um, providers um, throughout my years. The fact that they're, they say, you know, I want to try to get an MRI or some kind of imaging studies, but unfortunately the insurance company is not allowing it or denying it because the patient hasn't gone through the proper steps prior, such as physical therapy for six weeks or whatnot, before they can, you know, move forward with the imaging studies. With the imaging studies. And, you know, it's such a new way of doing medicine. You know, it's a way of thinking. It's a way of changing the mindset for some of the physicians in the area, too, that they can call you directly. You know, if they're seeing a, a, a patient with this, that calling you directly, you may be able to intervene a little quicker. 
Oh, I 100% agree with you, Robin. I, you know, I, I was asked a lot of times, primary care physicians will ask me, is this an appropriate consult? Is this right. an inappropriate consult? I, I tell all the primary care providers and all the providers in the community, there is not an inappropriate consult. I am willing to see anyone to try to help them with any pain-related issues they may have. A lot of times I may not be able to do anything more than what the other providers may be helping them with. But, you know, a lot of times, because I'm used to seeing these on a day-to-day basis, I could help delineate what I can help do and not do for those patients to help their pain. Right, and maybe focus in on one thing. Correct. You know, without a whole battery of things. Correct. You know, and I think that's, the patient just wants one line of treatment that will get them some result. I I 100% agree with you. Yeah, and it's, I think it's so important. So, let's break it down a little bit. Let's talk about Maybe a few common things you see, and I know you know we've talked about arthritis because that that's probably one of the most general pain related issues that you see because arthritis is so many different things. It could be your joints, it could be your it could be your back, it could be just systemic. So let's talk a little bit about arthritis and how you know what you see. So thank you. There's many different types of arthritis, but the one that I see for the most part is osteoarthritis, which is the, it's a degenerative disorder arising from the biochemical breakdown of articular cartilage Mm -hmm. in the synovial joints. And when we talk about arthritis, it can happen in any joint in the body. Mm -hmm. Most commonly, I'll see it in the knees, Mm -hmm. hips, and shoulders. If you think about the knees and hips, they're the major load-bearing joints, uh, a few of the major load-bearing joints of our body, if you think about it, you know, with you know, we're standing upright and walking and running and whatnot. So those joints take a lot of a wear and tear. And the shoulder as well, you know, because if you think about it, we use our hands and our upper extremities for a lot of different things. So those are the more common major joints that I see it in. But that's not to say you can't see it in your ankle joint, your elbow joint, your your, your joints in your fingers or any of your, any of your other feet. Yeah, correct. Uh, any of your joints in your body that have synovial fluid can have a breakdown of that, which can cause pain um, due to degeneration over time. And sometimes it's family history, sometimes it's diet, sometimes it's wear and tear. So it could be a variety of a lot of things. Yeah. Or all those in one. You're right. There's there's um there's a genetic component to this. Like you said, wear and tear, some of these heavy labor works. Um, sometimes we'll see patients that are doing more construction work and whatnot, or just heavy lifting, twisting jobs and whatnot, right. where they put more strain on those joints. Um Injuries itself can also kind of help the progression of um, degeneration over time. So there's a lot of different things that can cause arthritis. Unfortunately, there's not a cure per se for arthritis. There's different modalities we could do to help patients that do help arthritis, do have arthritis. So let's talk about someone that comes into your office and they present with osteoarthritis, whether it be the hip, the you know the the knee. So what is the standard form of diagnosis and treatment? when a patient comes in with that? So when a patient first comes to the office and let's, for example, let's say they're complaining of knee pain, I think the uh, first thing to do is get a very thorough um, and complete history Mm. on when the pain started, how long they've had the pain, what exacerbates the pain, what makes it feel better. Um, and after that, I, it's important to do a complete physical examination of that joint. So you and, watch them actually move. Yeah, you watch right? them move, you know, and then you do a complete examination of that joint itself, whether it being the knee, hip, or whatever joint we're talking about. And the beauty of a lot of these joints, such as the knee and hips, is we have another one. So we right. have two of them. So 
you know, if if one of them is bad, say the left one that's causing them problem, then you can always examine the right one to try to find out what their normal is mm. before you examine the other one. So that's that's the beauty of a lot of these what we call symmetric joints. So you can have something to compare it to. Yeah, and there's it's it's funny because you don't realize that. I'm going to refer to the hip. You don't realize that the hip that may be bothering you, you really have some atrophy to that side or that, you know, that limb, your leg is kind of the muscle weakness. And you don't realize, you don't even realize you're compensating. Yeah, you're right. You know, a lot of times because of pain, you may not want to put too much weight or weight bear on that side. Right. So you'll be doing more of your weight bearing on the opposite side. And you don't side, even realize it, and, I bet. And you don't even realize it. So over time, just like anything else, like any other muscle, if you don't use it over time, it will start developing atrophy and you'll get weakness in that muscle. Right. So it's identifying that and hopefully being able to get them to have proper balance. So, you know, you're going to do some pain relief, but it's also some physical therapy that gets maybe some balance back for them, right? Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. A lot of times what what we do in pain management is we try to address the pain-related issues to the point where we could try to have them do physical therapy and other modalities to help stabilize that joint. And I always tell patients, physical therapy, in my opinion, is very important because it could help the current issue that they're de- uh, dealing with, and more importantly, it could prevent future issues from occurring. Now, would you do physical therapy prior to doing any interventional procedure or maybe do some interventional procedure and the physical therapy at the same time? That's that's a great question. Depending depending on how bad their pain is, uh, on occasion, or I should say more often than on occasion, patients will come to me, they're like, yeah, my my doctor sent me for physical therapy, but I tried to go once or twice, but I was in excruciating pain, so I stopped going. If that's the case, I don't feel like at that moment more physical therapy will be beneficial. I think we got to address the pain issue, and if we could address the pain issue to make them more comfortable, so they could do physical therapy more effectively and correctly, that right. might be more beneficial for them. So, what's some of the intervention that you would do for an arthro- for an arthritic joint? So some of the interventional therapy we can do for an arthritic joint is um, steroid injections. Mm-hmm. Anytime you have um, arthritis, which uh, degeneration of a joint, what happens is you're having inflammation in that joint. So what we could do is we could put in an anti-inflammatory medication, i.e. a steroid, right. to help counteract the inflammation and irritation they're having in the joint. So that's one thing we could do. And How long does that last? It depends. Some patients get significant relief for six months plus Mm -hmm. some patients get minimal relief for weeks to months some patients unfortunately get no relief with the steroid injection so every patient's different and you know we do it on a case-by-case basis basis, yeah so if someone gets a steroid injection i told you i would do this see i veer off (laughs) if someone gets a steroid injection then what about physical therapy? Do, if they go to physical therapy, are they aggravating it? Or do they have to wait a period of time after the injection to start physical therapy just to give it a chance to do its thing? I, I think it depends how they feel, most okay. importantly. you know. After I'll do a steroid injection, you know, I tell them, Wait a day or so, but go to feel free to try physical therapy if you feel like you can do physical therapy more comfortably. And, you know, the whole point of physical therapy is to kind of stre- help strengthen all the muscles area around that site of, uh, you know, right. a- around the degeneration around the arthritic joint to try to help stabilize that joint a little better and to try to help prevent future issues. So 
it depends on a case-by-case basis, which is a lot of things in medicine. How often can someone have the steroid injection? How long do you recommend it before... You know, it's probably not something we should be going back to. My my goal is to give a patient uh, significant relief for at least a couple months with the steroid injections. Unfortunately, over time, st- steroids can start weakening bone. So this uh-huh. is not something that I would d- like to do on a patient multiple times a year. So if I can get them a few months of relief preferably six months plus relief with the injection, I would have no problem doing a second steroid injection on that patient. In six months. Yeah, in six months. But, you know, you got to look at other factors with regards to the patient, not more so the knee, but when we're talking about the spine, if they got a history of osteoporosis or osteopenia or one of those medical diseases, you want to be very careful and leery about using steroids because over time steroids can cause more degeneration and weakening of that bone, which can lead to fractures and other other concerning things. But not so much for the knee. Not as much for the knee. Right. So the knee is one of those gray areas where you can probably get away with maintaining it with the steroid injection and maybe some of the other um, supplements that we're going to talk about. Yeah, I I agree with you. Uh, One thing I have seen over time is if a person does get significant long-term improvement with the steroid injection, over the years, unfortunately, they're probably not going to get the same amount of relief. Yeah, as as much much. relief and as long of relief. Over over the years, it seems like that. And that's something that as providers, I think it's important for us to see. If the window is closing, getting smaller and smaller and smaller with regards to the amount of relief they're getting with those injections, other alternatives and therapies, I think at that point, are probably best for the patient. Probably best. Which, one of them being, there is a gel that we can inject um, into some of the knees, right? Yes. Which which helps to um, replace some of that synovial fluid. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about that for the knees. Okay. Yeah, so there's something called a visco-supplementation injection. Some of the, you know, trade names for this are Synvisc, Gel1, Uflexa, Monovisc. So these are a couple of the different um, brand names that are out there. So, I think my husband had all of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, visco-supplementation, it's a gel-like fluid um, called hyaluronic acid which uh, you could um, put into the joint itself. So hyaluronic acid is a naturally occurring substance found in the synovial um, joint fluid itself. And it almost acts as a lubricant to enable the bones to kind of move smoothly and kind of glide over each other. So over time, if you don't have that hyaluronic Mm -hmm. acid, you increase friction in the joint, and that can unfortunately cause more pain in the joint. Mm -hmm. And we're fortunate enough where we could put that visco-supplementation therapy back into the joint to try to help everything, you know, smooth more guidely and more effectively. What's the goal with the viscous supplementation for length of time? Same thing. Uh, you know, my I'd like to get at least six plus months of pain relief, or at least, I shouldn't say pain relief, I should say pain improvement. Pain improvement. With it. Yeah. Pain relief is a very difficult thing to get with these patients, but a lot of times if we could get them even 30%, believe it or not, better, or 50% oh, yeah. better, that, that's that's. I mean, I speak personally on it, watching it with my husband. I mean, he has a horrendous knee from from multiple meniscus surgeries and years of abuse with basketball and very tall guy but it's his only good knee now because as my audience knows he had a stroke 10 years ago so it's hard you know but it does seem to work you know when we try to avoid surgery especially when you're younger because you just don't want to have to go through that you know now especially because you probably have to do it again yeah, you know, uh, surgery is a very good um, indication for the right patient. Right. 
you know, and I think it's important for us as uh, clinicians and providers to help delineate who that right patient is. Right, and just do what works for the patient. If you can get through it, that's why it's so important to have someone like yourself, you know, in the background analyzing that and guiding the patient through what the best course of treatment is. We talked a little bit the other day about something kind of neat, a surgery that they do now, but really that it's a hash one. What's that? What's that surgery we talked about where you where you replace you replace something, but they get it's like using. I'm going to look back at my note. It was really neat. The platelet rich plasma. Rich plasma. Yeah. That's it. So you know, platelet rich plasma. Something that we're seeing. I, I made you jump around on your slide. We're, I'm sorry. We're seeing, <laughs> we're seeing a lot, a lot of um, patients. A lot of um, athletes have this procedure. Yeah, I, I only I heard about it once, and then you brought it up again the other day, and I think it's so interesting because I think it's, but it's been around a little bit, right? Yeah, it's, it's been around. Um, it's been around a little bit, and like I said, a lot of um, a lot of people have it done, and a lot of these um, high-level functioning professional athletes have it done as well. Mostly for the knee? Uh, d- d- different joints or different tendons or ligaments or whatnot. Um, whatever the site of injury is, there's different um, indications, there's different reasons why people like to use so, it. let's talk a little about what that is exactly and how it's done so what platelet-rich plasma is it's it's um so you take a a person's blood sample and you use a centrifuge and you spin it down and after that you get two layers you get the plasma layer and then you got the cellular components layer which includes the white blood cells so what we do is we take the white blood cell layer and we inject it into the patient's body part that the issue is at. Isn't this interesting? I know, I thought it was so cool. So, like I said, the platelet-rich plasma, it's a concentration of platelet cells taken from your own blood. Wow. And these platelets have growth factors that help the healing process of either injured tendons, ligaments, muscles, and joints. So the growth factors, when released after you inject it, they induce the production of collagen and generation of new capillaries to rejuvenate. Isn't that the neatest thing? So it's a a pretty neat therapy that um, a lot of people are doing. Um, Unfortunately, it's a cash pay therapy. But with that said, you know, what's better than using your own body's Body ability to help to its heal. healing, yeah, healing process. Your body's so, ability to yeah. heal. It's just, and it has to be the right patient. Yes, it has to be the right patient. Now, yeah. Everything we do in medicine, we got to make sure we do a thorough examination, thorough history, thorough history, thorough diagnosis, and based on that diagnosis, discussing different treatment options that the patient may be a candidate. You know, for. while we were on joints, that's why I wanted to bring that up sure. because I just thought that that was so interesting. And we're the really neat thing is it's available here. Yeah, it's yeah. something that you do. Yeah, did you do where? Where were you before? I was you when Hartford. I was in the Greater Hartford area before this. I was doing this therapy as well. You yeah. were doing it as well, and yeah. I think it's really neat that we have it right here in our area. Yes, and I just wanted to highlight that because I thought it was really neat. No, thank you. A lot of patients don't know about this, but this is an option out there that you know you could discuss with uh, your provider and right. you and may as be a team, a pa- you may, yeah. and as a team between yourself and the primary care physician, you decide if that patient is the best candidate for something like that. What are the downsides or the risks? The risk with any injections we do, the main risks are infection Mm -hmm. is probably the main risk that we worry about. 
bleeding is also something we worry about with regards to that. So those are some of the more major ones. Allergic reaction as well is something that um, can happen. Usually not with, you know, if you inject yourself your own blood, that risk is lower, but it's it's a possibility. Right. So I think the main one that we got to highlight is infection. Infection. Yes. infection. Yeah. We are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to focus on back and neck pain. Wonderful. Thank you. We'll be right back. Robin Sills from St. Mary's Hospital, Medically Speaking. And we're Medically Speaking tonight with Dr. Sandeep Johar, who is a pain specialist with NOS here in the greater Waterbury area for the last six months, but hails to us from the greater Hartford area where he was previous to this. But you have a long list of accomplishments on your resume. So I want to talk a little bit about some of the education that you had, um, your post-residency, some of the specialties that you focused on. Okay, thank you. I think it's really important. You did a you did a residency in uh, sports, right? Sports medicine. Yes, I did my residency in emergency medicine. Then I did fellowships in Fellowship. sports medicine at the University of Rochester. Then I did a spine, sports, and musculoskeletal medicine at the University of Florida for a year. So you you know what painful joints are? Yes, <laughs> I, I dealt with a lot of joints uh, with a lot of athletes, and you know I was fortunate enough at the University of Florida huh. because it's got a Division One, uh, you know. Multiple Division One college programs, so I was fortunate enough to deal with a lot of athletes. I think that's awesome, and it, bringing it back here to Connecticut, we better keep, we better hide you from the UConn basketball team, from our girls. They really need you, but you know, it's it's. The level of expertise that you bring right here to the greater Waterbury area, I think it's really important for us to emphasize. And if anybody has a question, please feel free to call in 203-757-1320. Well, when we left off, I mentioned that we were going to talk a little bit more about something that you probably see even more than the joint 
pain, but it's back and neck pain. Because as we get older, unfortunately, that tends to be one of the one of the areas of concern for all of us that are aging. And, you know, even the younger generation for poor body mechanics. I know that's one of the things they taught us in nursing school. First thing is proper body mechanics and how to lift a patient. Lifting from your legs and not from your back and keeping your back straight and strengthening your core. All those things, which honestly pretty much saved me to this point. But, you know, it, I think it's really important and we don't focus on that. So I know that you see a lot of back and neck pain. Yeah, the majority of what I see is um, spine pain, including back and neck pain. Like I said, I, I, the practice I work um, for, which is a, a set of neurosurgeons, orthopedic surgeons, and so me being one of the spine specialists, we do see a lot of back and neck pain. That's the vast majority of what I see in the practice. And it's more prevalent nationwide than you think. You threw a statistic out to me about the population, and I thought that was significant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, from all the what the literature says, about seventy to eighty-five percent of um, the population will have at least one episode of back pain in their lifetime. That's a lot. So that's a lot. That's saying about seven to eight out of every ten, 10 people, people will have at least one episode of back pain. So that, that's a significant number. Treatable back pain. Treatable back pain. Sure, that's a very significant. Number. You know, so not just oh, I got a little backache. Yeah. We're saying identify, diagnose, treatable back pain. That's mm. a lot. I agree. It is a lot of number. And like you mentioned earlier, a lot of this is due to poor mechanics, poor lifting techniques, mm-hmm. poor weakening, weakening of muscles and not good core strengthening. So there's a lot of different factors that can, from a preventative standpoint, we could do to prevent patients from seeing someone like me. Right. So. Well, I'll tell you, you know, you use that word core, but that's huge. And I think that it's overused a lot because of our exercise craze, you know, where they'll go to the gym and people talk about your core, but I don't think that they impress upon you the importance of a core and that having a solid core strengthens your back more than anything. I, I couldn't agree more with that. You know, with with us working in our office jobs, we're always hunched over mm. on the computers and whatnot. So, you know, those days when we're really trying to focus on our doing the you know farming work and things like that where we really had to focus on our physical strength and maintenance are kind of out the door so that's why it's important to try to maintain your core do exercises whether it be going through the gym or physical therapy or whatnot to sitting at a yoga ball at work yeah sitting doing at a, your leg exercise i know that's something robin it's my new thing it's, but it's, that's great that's great where whenever you could find some time to do it you know i know a lot of times with the work week life gets very busy and then when you get home it doesn't get any easier you know you do that in your car I can't do it when I'm in the car. I can't do it in the car, only when I'm back at the office. But when I'm in the car, I have to stop and I have to stretch. That's the other thing. When you get out of the car, you got to stretch. I was taught that. Because you don't. You just jump and run. You get out, you run from one office to the other. Without stretching. I agree. We, We work very hard. We all have busy schedules. 50, 60, 70 plus hours a week. And with that, you know, we almost forget about the most important thing, which is to take care of our own health. Ourselves, because then you can't do it. And the other piece to this that I thought was interesting is that men and women are equally affected. You know, it's not just men with the heavy jobs and it's not just women with osteoporosis. They're equally affected. Yeah. Pain pain does not discriminate. Yeah. (laughs) And And onset is 30 to 50 years. That's interesting to me. You would think a more older generation. But no, 
It's between the ages of 30 and 50. Yeah, a lot of times you'll see the first onside between 30 and 50. And, you know, depending on a lot of the older generations, they get may get more degenerative issues over time. And a lot of times with the younger generation, it may be more an acute event right. that caused the pain. Ca- so right. different things for different age groups. And I think it must be really hard to impress upon someone that's younger that you do treat for this, that they have to stay true to maintaining their core or doing those exercises even after the treatment does work, that it's something you have to continue to do because this may be a lifelong thing, and, right? Yeah, I, I agree with you. That's a lot of times what the misnomer we get. Uh, a lot of times when we treat a patient and they're, quote-unquote, back to normal, they just go on their daily things and forget to maintain what they were taught to do to begin with. And then, unfortunately, over time, they may have a second injury or a third injury because of that. And so it is important to maintain the current issue and prevent future issues by doing exercises and different modalities out there. So someone comes to you with a diagnosis of or complaining of back pain. What is the first thing that you do when you're doing the diagnosis? of that person good history so, so yeah uh, outside of what we mentioned before with anything else in medicine at least from a musculoskeletal standpoint take a very good thorough history do a complete physical examination discuss what events led to it on occasion patients will be able to tell you this is what caused it sometimes they'll be like i, I didn't do nothing i woke up and i started having the pain right and then but basically it's almost putting all the pieces of the puzzle together and if you do have any imaging studies on top of that you could use that to help you come up with a diagnosis for what's causing the patient's pain so let's look at the imaging so what type of imaging helps you the most so all imaging is good. Any any added pieces of the puzzle will right. help us. X-rays are beneficial for certain things. CAT scans and MRIs are beneficial for certain things, depending on what the patient's symptoms and complaints are and what we're thinking as clinicians. Is there anything, if a patient presented to you with severe back pain, is there anything that you would see in a patient that you would say between the imaging or the examination of the patient that would deter you from treating them with pain management and sending them or calling in the neurosurgeon? That's that's a very good question. Depending on their symptoms. Yep. You know, if they're having weakness or bowel or bladder incontinence or something like that, that's something beyond my scope of expertise. That's when I would want to call one of my colleagues to come in, come in and do this in a, you know, a relatively timely, quick fashion. You know? that's, that's what I love so much about the practice, is that you have each other there to bounce certain things off of. It's an incredible team approach, which is what I, why I wanted to emphasize that just in, in that comment, because you're not going to treat someone that you feel can be better served by one of the colleagues, and same for them. They cross-refer to you. Yeah, we have a very team approach, and just to give you an example, I had a patient that I saw a couple months ago that had a a, mild, a foot drop, not a, a mild foot drop, a little bit of weakness in, uh, you know, plantar, what we call plantar flexion of the foot. Mm-hmm. So I did 
contact one of my neurosurgery colleagues to discuss it with them. And what they recommended is they're like, why don't you do one injection and see how the patient does? And if the patient does get improvement, great. If the patient does not get improvement, then send the patient up to me right away. I'll see them and then, you know, we'll do a full evaluation and discuss treatment options with the patient. So I feel very fortunate to be in a group where I could bounce these ideas off and, Mm -hmm. you know, it always makes you feel secure. Right. Absolutely. And I think it's an incredible approach. I mean, I really do. I think it's an incredible approach. And, you know, working in the ortho world for so long, we didn't have the benefit way back when of pain management, pain specialists. You know, we didn't have that specialty within. And now that we do over the last, I don't know how many years we've had this in our area, but it's definitely a level of specialty that is not understood as well, which is why I like to incorporate it in you know our medically speaking programs because it's one of those things we have here in our community that people don't fully understand and I think by you coming on today shows that work that you do do with the neurosurgeons is such a cross reference yeah it's it. a it's a very uh team approach, a holistic approach um, for to give the patient the optimal care that they deserve. So a patient comes in and we diagnose the fact that um, there's something you can do for them mm-hmm. to alleviate some of this, this pain that they're feeling um, in their back and in the referred areas of pain, as you call them, in different areas. What are some of the interventional procedures that you can do to help with um, back pain? So some of the more common interventional procedures, there's a whole gamut of interventional procedures we do. Some of the more common ones are epidural steroid injections and facet joint injections or medial branch blocks. And And what does that entail? So if, if a patient came to me and they were having, for example, say low back pain radiating down the leg, Mm. and we did get we do have imaging studies that shows a disc herniation and or stenosis, which may be causing some irritation on the nerve. Then that patient may benefit from an epidural steroid injection or a series of epidural steroid injections to try to alleviate their symptoms. Um, and sometimes the disc can actually go back into place, right? Yeah, so some some studies are showing not not completely go back into place uh, very minimally minimally but relieve yeah. that pressure yeah, on relieve the, on that the pressure spinal off, cord yeah relieve, the main thing is trying to relieve that pressure off that nerve right. the spinal canal right and that's what our goal is when we do these interventional mm-hmm. therapies we try to inject with an epidural steroid injection we inject a steroid medication to try to decrease some of the inflammation around that nerve and hopefully with that alleviate some of the pain that the patient is having and and sometimes it will just move enough or give them enough relief, right? Yeah, sometimes it'll give them enough relief if you could um, diminish or decrease some of the inflammation around that nerve to the point where they're not as symptomatic and they're feeling better and more comfortable. So that's the goal. When you do the injections, how are they done? What do you utilize? How do you find the spot? So, so that's a very good question. You know, I'm fortunate enough because I cheat, uh, you know, <laughs> meaning we, everything is done fluoroscopic guided or x-ray guided. So a patient's laying on their stomach and we take a lot of pictures. So nothing is done blind. Mm-hmm. Everything's done very precisely and very meticulously. Mm-hmm. We take a lot of pictures. I'm in, the, I'm in a leaded room and I'm actually wearing 
lead to protect me, like a lead shield to protect me. Well, I've worn those before. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've had to go in for a few patients' exams. So They're we, heavy. Yeah. So with that said, you know, we take a lot of pictures. We make sure we are in the right spot we would like to be. Then we mm-hmm. put some contrast in that spot just to confirm we're in that right spot. Once we confirm we're in the right spot, that's when we put the medication in. And does the patient get immediate relief? Does it take period? Take time? D- depending... We'll inject some numbing medicine as well as the steroid, and the hope is that the numbing agent will give them some immediate relief. But not all patients get immediate relief. It takes time, yeah. right? Some patients, it does take time for them to get relief, yeah. So, I mean, sometimes as much as a couple of weeks. Yeah, right? sometimes as much as a couple of weeks. I like, like to see my patients back for follow-up a few weeks after the injection to see if they get any relief and if so how much relief they get and based on that we'll determine the next step whether they might be maybe a candidate for another injection or maybe there's another pain generator that's causing their symptoms and we got to focus more on that site and then what would you do so if there's another pain generator how would you identify that Based on examination and okay. imaging studies so if there is another pain generator say they got a combination of some arthritis in their back Yep. as well as stenosis in okay. the back. And the arthritis in the back can be causing the stenosis in their back. So if we were focusing more on you know the epidural space and the epidural steroid injection, but they're like, Doc, I'm still having a lot of, for example, say back pain, that might be coming from what we call facet arthropathy or facet arthritis. So if that's the case, then we could do either a facet joint injection or what we call a medial branch block to help diagnose it and treat it. So how how does that happen? How does that how what type of procedure? How does that work? The same concept in the sense that the patients it's done fluoroscopic guided meaning X-ray guided yep. and for a facet joint just like you know your knees a joint your shoulders a joint your hips a joint your spine is made up of a series of joints as well. That's what allows us to bend, extend, and flex and twist. Mm. And so if I did think you know their pain was coming from their facet joints, then we could do injections actually into the facet joints. Wow. Like an like a injection in the knee joint, but this is an injection in the facet joint in the spine. So, what's your goal, and how long these injections would last? This injection would last. So, so depending the the good thing about these um, facet joint injections is, or what we call diagnostic medial branch blocks. A lot of times, you do it to help a determine if that's what's causing the pain, and b helping them manage the pain. And from a therapeutic standpoint. The the good thing is, based on the anatomy of the spine, we have what we call medial branch blocks. And if the patient does get some short-term improvement of their pain with the facet joint injections and or the medial branch blocks, but they don't get long-term improvement, we could always do it a, a procedure where we call it a radiofrequency ablation, where we could actually go in and burn those nerves. Really? Yeah. And that would make it more long-term? That would make it more long-term. Unfortunately, over time, those nerves do regenerate, but a lot of the literature says six months to a year, if not more. Wow. Yeah. And they tend to do well, and by then, they've probably strengthened their core because you have them doing physical therapy, too. Yeah. It's it's a whole combination of things. Not just not one thing that I'm going to do is going to uh, you know, give the patient full relief. The hope is with what I can do as well as other things that they could help do on the by themselves, that combination can help their pain. So you have something here, um, the SI joint injection. 
When would you usually utilize that sacroiliac joint? So when, like, where, where is the? It says low back here. So someone has low back pain, but it's really probably coming from their spine or their pelvis. So, so the sacroiliac joint kind of combines the spine and the pelvis. At one time, yeah. we didn't think this joint. Um, moved so much now we're seeing that there is a few degrees of what we call mutation and counter-mutation meaning movement in the joint so now we're identifying it more as a pain generator causing low back pain wow. and with that said a lot of times if a patient will come to me with low back pain i want to make sure it's not coming from the lumbar spine i want to make sure it's not coming from the hip and i want to make sure it's not coming from the sacroiliac joint so in my in my examination i'll do examinations for all three of them and there's a different uh, testing. One thing is what we call the Fortin's test, where they'll you ask them right when they walk in the room, where does it hurt the most? And they'll point right in their back um, in the area next to what they call the posterior superior iliac spine. And that's what we call Fortin's test. And if they do have a positive Fortin's test, then there's different provocative tests I could do on the patient. And if there's if they are positive for a few of the provocative tests, three out of five is what the literature says, based on that, we can uh, do various procedures and interventional therapy, such as a sacroiliac joint injection. And the sacroiliac joint injection, the importance of that injection is both diagnostic and therapeutic. It's considered the gold standard to help diagnose the sacroiliac joint as being the issue causing your symptoms. It's so interesting. You know, when I was talking to you the other day, I was telling you how I had my I had hurt my back just a few months ago, which I've never had a back problem, and I woke up with it pretty much like you said. And but I had fractured my pelvis and my hip when I was a teenager. My husband and I were nineteen in a car accident, and I had fractured it. So, you know, upon a good history with the physical therapist. Um, uh, Courtney, I'm going to give her a little shout out for the St. Mary's Physical Therapy Department. With a good um, history with Courtney, Courtney goes, Robin, this has come from your hip. I got to strengthen your hip, you know, and do some core stuff. Nobody ever did that with me. You know, nobody ever really identified that. And I think it's really, you know, it's that good history up front. You know, that helps to, to guide where the therapy will be. And I thank goodness I just needed physical therapy and, and on my way with the core exercises. But it's amazing to me that hip would definitely, you know, something in your hip would definitely be reflective into the back. Yeah, you know, a lot of times low back pain is a very tricky diagnosis mm. with trying to figure out what can cause it. That's why it's important to see a specialist that's very comfortable managing that and seeing that and sees it on a more usual occurrence to kind of help delineate what the main cause is. Awesome. We have so much more to talk about, but we have the Sacred Heart Crosby game. So we're going to be caught five minutes short, but I want to have the um, the privilege of hopefully bringing you back in the future to, to expand on our topics. That would be great. You thank, thank you so much for having me. This was an absolute pleasure to do. An incredible, incredible topic. Um, I want to let the audience know, too, if you want to learn more um, about Dr. Johar and his practice, you can definitely go on NOSMD.com. Yes, right. www.NOSMD.com. Look at that. I remembered it. <laughs> and it has me as well as the other specialists in the practice. It's awesome. If you click on team, it brings everybody down and you 
you can see all the physicians that are involved in some of the procedures that they do. So that's www.nosmd.com. And um, if you want to learn more, too, you can call their office, 203-755-6677. I invite you to go on and learn. And Dr. Johar does a lot of stuff with us at our Nogatuck Valley Surgery Center, so we're loving having you. So it's been great having you part of our St. Mary's community team. Thank you. I feel very fortunate to be part of such a great team with very progressive uh, providers and team members such as Robin. Robin's been integral with helping me out with my practice, so I really appreciate that. Well, I'm excited to introduce this specialty to our community, so it's been great. So to everyone out there, um, please visit um, their website and also go on our website and learn more about uh, some of the things that we can do at St. Mary's Hospital, stmh.org. Um, thank you for listening tonight. You can ca- catch this or, or refer a friend to listen to this because it will be on our podcast, Medically Speaking, on iTunes. So if you go on iTunes and click on Medically Speaking, this will be uploaded by the end of the week. I Hopefully Jen Clement is listening to me. She'll get this loaded up for me and uh, learn the uh, listen to this entire broadcast. So I will be back in two weeks on February 1st, and February is Heart Month, so we will be really excited to um, do programming the whole month on heart health. So thank you again for joining us. Robin Sills, St. Mary's Hospital. Exceptional care. Every patient, every day. Have a great night.